This message is presented to you by Pastor James Moore and New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. For more information or to donate, please visit newlifekc.com. Well, today is Father's Day. If you've ever wondered about the origin of Father's Day, it goes back to a Sunday morning in May of 1909. Remember? No, you don't remember. Even my mother... <laughs> It was 10 years later before she was born. 1909, there was a woman named Sonora Dodd, and she was sitting in church in Spokane, Washington. And as she listened to the Mother's Day sermon that day, she thought of her father, her father who had raised both her and her siblings after her mother died in childbirth. And she thought that fathers should get some recognition too. So she asked the minister of the church if he would deliver a sermon honoring fathers on her father's birthday, which was coming up in June. And the minister did. But it still took a while before the tradition of Father's Day caught on. See, Mother's Day became an official holiday in 1914. Father's Day didn't gain official recognition until 58 years later. 1972. Some of you do remember that. But we finally made it, dads. We made it. And let me take a moment to say how much I appreciate all of you fathers who are here in church today. Leading your families by example. In fact, I think it would be good to give our dads a hand of appreciation. And if you're a dad, you can still do it for the other dads. Amen. Yes. Well, at the end of today's Bible reading that Susie just read for us from the Gospel of Luke, we're told that Jesus' mother stored all these things in her heart. Uh, other Bible translations say she treasured these things in her heart. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? That, I mean, wouldn't you like to be a television reporter and do an interview with Jesus' mother later in her life? Mary, what were those things that you treasured in your heart? Which events stand out. How about the wedding at Cana where Jesus turned the water to wine? And what about his crucifixion, his resurrection? Well, I'm sure all of those would be among her treasured moments. But we know from these verses that one of the events she would recall in that interview would be the episode in today's lesson where the family visited the temple when Jesus was 12 years old. It's a story that even our children know. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover, but something happened on their pilgrimage this year when Jesus was 12 that made that particular trip memorable. After the feast was over, Mary and Joseph started home. But without their knowledge or consent, Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, Mary and Joseph traveled with a large group of of people in this pilgrimage. It's, it was normal in those days. Everybody moved together so like a big family. And so they didn't think anything of it when they went a whole day without seeing Jesus. They assumed he was with some of his other friends in the caravan. But when night came and he hadn't appeared, they began looking for him among their relatives and their friends, and they soon realized Jesus was missing. So they go back to Jerusalem. I mean, can you imagine it was three days before they found him. 
before they located him. And by this time, hey, they were out of their minds with worry. Don't you imagine? But they finally found him. He was in the temple court sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking questions. Now, you know the parents were beside themselves by this time. His mother said, son, son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. And Jesus answers, and he says, but why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Now, now I want you to note here, this was not a belligerent answer. And, and the parents didn't take it that way either. For you see, Mary and Joseph had raised a responsible child. They had faith in their son. Oh, they didn't understand him sometimes. <laughs> but they trusted him. Well, I don't know about you, but I think that is a, just a great story. No wonder Mary treasured it in her heart. And I'm so glad that it was recorded in the Bible because it gives us a glimpse into the family life of the home of Mary and Joseph. It lets us see that they were devout people who followed the dictates of their faith. It lets us see that they trusted Jesus. He was a responsible child. The fact that they could begin the pilgrimage back home without first checking about where he was I think that's proof that they trusted him. And from the story, we also see that they handled conflict well. I mean, yeah, Mary expressed her concern about his disappearing act. But notice there was no temper tantrum. There was no histrionics. Can you say the same about your family? I'm asking because the way a family handles conflict can make a big difference. And it's an important question because some families do handle conflict better than others. There's another wonderful story about a famous research scientist who made several very major medical breakthroughs. And uh, a newspaper reporter did interview this scientist and asked him, he says, why, in your opinion, are you so much more creative than the average person? And the scientist answered. He said he believed that it was because of an experience he had with his mother when he was a small child. See, he'd been trying to get a bottle of milk out of the refrigerator when he lost his grip on it. He was just little, two, two three years old. Spilled the contents of the bottle of milk all over the floor. I mean, it was a veritable sea of milk. Well, when his mother came into the kitchen, instead of yelling at him, instead of giving him a lecture, instead of punishing him, she said, Robert, what a great and wonderful mess you have made. I have rarely seen such a large puddle of milk. <laughs> well, the damage had been done, she said. The damage has been done. Robert, would you like to play in the milk for a few minutes before we clean it up? 
Well, of course, Robert thought it was a great idea, <laughs> and so he did. But then after a few minutes of playing, his mother said, you know, Robert, when you make a mess like this, eventually you have to clean it up. So how would you like to do that? Would you rather use a sponge, a towel, or a mop? And Robert chose the sponge, and together they cleaned up the mess. His mother then said, you know, what we have here, Robert, is a failed experiment in how to effectively carry a big bottle of milk with two little hands. So let's go out in the backyard and fill up the bottle with water. And then we'll see if you can figure out a way to carry it without dropping it. And the little boy soon learned that if he grasped the bottle at the top with both hands, he could carry it without dropping it. It was a wonderful lesson. And this renowned scientist later said, at that moment, he knew he didn't have to be afraid of making mistakes. He said, I learned that mistakes are just opportunities for learning something new, which is, after all, what scientific experiments are all about. Even if the experiment doesn't work, we usually learn something valuable from it. Wow! Now, I'm not going to ask you moms and dads if you have the kind of patience that this mother of the future scientist displayed. But how do you handle conflict in your family? How do you handle mistakes? What's your parenting philosophy? Is it based on God's word? For instance, let's just look at one issue of parenting. In the Bible, God says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Now, if we're going to believe that God's word is true, and I trust most of you are, then that means we must accept that children do, in fact, have foolishness bound up in their heart. Isn't that what it says? Please note the second part of the verse. God also tells us how to remove the foolishness with the rod of discipline. So if you'll let me, I'd just like to share, before we go on, just a couple of quick parenting tips this morning. Okay? Are you ready? I guess I will just skip that. <laughs> I don't want any parenting tips. I've got it all together. Hey, I've seen your kids. All right. Parenting tip number one. <laughs> Remove the foolishness from your child as soon as possible. I mean, if there's foolishness in your child, doesn't it make sense that you get that nasty stuff out of them just as soon as you can? 
After all, the sooner you establish the correct way for your child to go, the less time the foolishness will have to influence your child. Isn't that right? Doesn't that make sense? And, and by the way, if you want to more fully enjoy your children while they're children, begin young. You say, how young? How about as soon as your child begins to show defiance or throw temper tantrums, which is usually around six months old? You say, that's pretty small. <laughs> yeah, but they're doing it. I have discovered, it's amazing, I have discovered that most parents make a mistake they make the mistake of waiting to inf implement infant-toddler discipline until their child is, you know, four, five, six, seven, maybe even eight years old. And then they wonder why it's so difficult. And here's some, here's, here's just some additional free practical advice, something you can actually do on discipline. Just one, only discipline your child for three things. Three, defiance, disrespect, disobedience. It's the most loving thing you can do for your child is to discipline them for defiance, disrespect, and disobedience. It's the most loving thing you can do. And number two, always discipline your child for three things. Defiance, disrespect, and disobedience. Consistency is the key. And then if you want to find out, I want to see if I'm being successful at removing the foolishness from my child, here's how you'll know. You'll know because not only do you enjoy your children, other people enjoy your children too. And you say, well, that's a whole different story. I love my kids, but nobody else wants to be around them. You haven't done well on that. Now, here's parenting tip number two. First tip was what? Do you remember? Remove the foolishness as soon as possible. Number two, teach character before teaching knowledge. See, without the necessary tools, our children, they'll never be able to properly apply what they're taught. How can we expect our children to be responsible to do what they're told unless obedience is taught and reinforced? And I hope this is registering with you, parents, because what I'm saying will provide some real relief, some relief that you desperately need. It's unfortunate that many parents have forgotten that their child is actually God's child, and that God has specific instructions for raising his child. And the instructions for raising his child are found in the Bible. And it grieves him when parents choose to ignore his directions, and instead, you know what they do? They listen to other well-meaning but often erroneous counsel on child rearing. 
See, I think we can all agree that the goal of parenting is to produce a responsible child. But I, listen, no child will ever become responsible without first respecting you, parents. And I'm defining respect as taking you seriously. Okay? And listen, no child will take you seriously unless they are taught that there are consequences for their actions. This requires doing, not just talking. See, stop means stop or there will be consequences. Don't just say it. Do it. I often hear parents saying, if you don't stop that, I'm going to spank you. Or, don't you make me come in there. Do you want me to punish you? Listen, way too much talk, not enough action. Why are you saying all that stuff? See, all those kinds of statements that I just said, they are made by parents who has failed to get the respect of their children. Oh, those parents are good at threatening. It's just that the kids don't take them seriously. Ain't it the truth? You don't want to, oh, too close to home? Kind of like the kid that was out playing with his friends. He's out in the backyard playing in the sandbox, playing some stuff. And the mother said, um, Tommy, time to come in. Tommy just kept on playing in the sandbox. Didn't even look up. A little while later, a few minutes later, Tommy, it's time to come in. And the other little kids in the tomba- sandbox said, hey, Tommy, your mom calling you. Don't you think you should go? Tommy said, no problem. Don't have to worry about it. Until she comes out and says, Thomas Edward Get in here. He goes, I got to go. <laughs> he, he said, no, I, I never have to go until she says my middle name. What have you taught the kid? You've taught the kid that they don't have to listen to you on the first thing you say. If you love your child, what if you say to the kid, hey, duck your head. Because he's getting ready to have something hit him in the head. But you didn't say, Thomas Edward. (laughs) Boom! Okay, and you're good. Where's the love if not teaching your kid to obey the first command? If you love him, teach him to obey your first command without any question. And then, listen, after they obey you, then you can explain the why. No, 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 not before. <laughs> you ever had kids ask you why? Hey, you need to come in now. Why? Somebody says, because I said so. And, then, and some of you think, 
Yeah, and some of you go, that's a horrible reason. <laughs> Why is it a horrible reason? Incidentally, your kid doesn't want to know why. Here's a little heads up. When you tell your kid to do something and they say why, they don't want to know why. They want to, th they want to see what your reason is so they can talk you out of it. They're trying to not do what you say. I can promise you when they say why, it's not because they're willing to do what you say. They're trying to get out of doing what you say. I always tell my kids, listen, I will, I'll gladly explain why after you do what I say. And they never came back to find out why. They didn't care. They really didn't want to know why, if that wasn't going to get them out of it. So you do tell them why, if they want to know, not to convince them, but to help them understand. Why do you want them to understand? So they can apply the principle of this and make it a part of their character the same way it's part of your character. As parents, we must realize that we are constantly modeling behavior and modeling attitude for our children. We need to understand, as Pastor Alex, I can promise you, could tell you, he didn't, um, that's good, he won't publicly, but we need to understand our character is showing through our children. Our character, parents' character, is showing through the kids. You just take anybody who's taught Sunday school or had kids in, in a classroom or on a, at camp, that person, that teacher, that leader, they know a whole lot about you without, even if they've never met you, just by watching your kids. Here, and here's a truth to write down without any humor involved, because this is serious right here. If we will not discipline ourselves to discipline our children, our kids will never learn to discipline themselves. And if they don't learn to discipline themselves, they will never become responsible. And your parenting will have failed. You remember the name of that song about a father who didn't have time for his son as he was growing up? And the lyrics, one day when the father had gotten up in years and all of a sudden he needs help, he calls his son up. Remember this song? And the response he gets is, hey, Dad, the job's a hassle and the kids got the flu. Hey, but it was sure nice talking to you, Dad. It was sure nice talking to you. And then the haunting last words of the song. As I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, my boy was just like me. He'd grown up just like me. The 78th Psalm speaks to this with a kind of refreshing honesty. The sole purpose of the 78th Psalm is to admonish future generations to not be like their fathers. 
See, the psalmist says the reason they shouldn't be like their fathers is because their fathers were a stubborn, rebellious generation whose heart was not steadfast and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Like father, like son, the psalmist says, I hope not. Anyway, I hope you seriously consider what I'm saying to you this morning, mom and dad. Talk. You can talk to your children. You can talk to them about responsible behavior, and you can explain to them until you're blue in the face. But the truth is, they are way more likely to emulate what you do than what you say. Let me add, however, <laughs> that I am very aware of how kids can sometimes drive you crazy. Mm, a kindergarten teacher helping her students. One of her students was there, this little boy, trying to help him put his boots on. He asked for help, and she could see why. Because with her pulling and him pushing, the boots still didn't want to go on. And by the time the second boot was on, she had actually worked up a sweat. And she almost whimpered when the little boy said, Teacher, they're on the wrong feet. And she looked, and sure enough, they were. Well, they wasn't any easier pulling the boots off than it was putting them on. She did, however, manage to keep her cool as together they worked to get the boots back on, this time on the right feet. But then the boy announced, these aren't my boots. <laughs> Teacher had to bite her tongue <laughs> to keep from getting right in the little guy's face and screaming, why didn't you say so? But she didn't, no. Instead, she struggled, help him pull the ill-fitting boots off. And he then said, these are my brother's boots. He made, Mom made me wear them. Well, by the time, she, this time she didn't know whether she should laugh or cry. But somehow she found the grace to wrestle the boots back onto his feet. Okay, she said, now where are your mittens? And he said, well, I stuffed them in my boots. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, kids can drive you crazy. But you know what? Parents can drive you crazy, too. Don't you think kids are confused by the parent that at times can be so loving while at other times be so grouchy and short-tempered? I mean, I, I, I get it. Kids can't understand your stress. But what are they learning when their parent's response is completely out of proportion to whatever the kid's wrong action was. And, and by the way, believe it or not, children, I mean, parents can sometimes learn from their children. That's why on one occasion, Jesus, wanting to make a point to his disciples, what did he do? He put a little child in the midst of them. I mean, children learn from their parents, but there are lessons parents can learn from their children. Consider Mary and Joseph. 
They were devout people who trusted God. They also trusted their son, Jesus. They handled conflict well in the family. And there was a bond of love and respect. Oh, I've seen it in some families, and it's a beautiful thing. Where there's love and respect between parents and children, you almost know those kids are going to turn out well. Now, this doesn't mean children don't make mistakes, because all children do make mistakes. The key is to keep the mistakes in perspective. And when you do, you know what happens? No one throws a tantrum. No one gets out of control. And each problem is handled with love and mutual respect. Kind of reminds me of a favorite movie I know that you've probably seen. and It's watched a lot during the holiday season. Simply titled, The Christmas Story. Tells the story of little Ralphie, young boy living in northern Indiana in the late 40s. As you may recall, if you see, how many have seen this movie? Okay. All right. Anyway, in one scene, you may remember, Ralphie beats up a neighborhood bully. Remember that? He's literally pummeling. I mean, he's got him down. Ralphie's mother catches him in the act. And Ralphie, man, he expects the worst from his father that evening. And as he dreaded, that night at dinner, his father asked about his day. But before he had a chance to reply, his mother jumped in and said, Oh, nothing much. Ralphie had a fight. His father put down the paper and gazed at Ralphie. A fight? What kind of fight? Mom replied again. Oh, you know how boys are. I gave him a talking to. Oh, I see the Bears are playing the Packers on Sunday. And distracted by the sports page, the father forgets about the fight. Ralphie beams a smile at his mother for overlooking his behavior. And Ralphie says to himself, I slowly realized that I was not about to be destroyed. From then on, things were different between me and my mother. Hey, that happens in families. How you handle mistakes, problems, disappointments, conflict of any kind may have a remarkable impact on how the young people in your home actually handle their lives. Mary and Joseph, devout people, trusted their son, and they handled conflict well in their family. So, did it work? Well, listen to how the story ends. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. May each of us do as well with those we love. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the special privilege we have of raising children in your ways and according to your directions given to us 
in your word. Please help us to take you seriously, Lord, so that our children will take us seriously, so they will eventually take you seriously too. Oh, Lord, may we treasure this day in our hearts. Grant us the courage and the discipline to apply what we've heard. It's in your wonderful name we pray, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.